This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Moreno. I don't watch a lot of television. I do watch uh, I watch sports a little bit, you know, um, especially during baseball season. But, you know, on Sundays we have football on. And um, I, I try to squeeze in a wrestling documentary here and, then, here and there. It's rare. I'll put the news on, you know, but honestly, I find so little of what's on cable news um, worth watching, but if there's some newsworthy event, I'll check it out. But you know, on the whole, not very much. I'll tell you what we do watch in our house. Seven p.m. Eastern comes around. We are are watching Jeopardy. That's it. Even if my son wants to watch something, he has a couple shows that he likes. He likes uh, Bluey. He likes Sesame Street. He likes Mickey Mouse Club. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and you know, my, my wife will tell him, no, Carmine, dad's putting on Jeopardy. And he says, Jeopardy. He knows that's it. Well, that's what we're watching from 7 to 7.30. And usually I'll put it on as I uh, like to watch something. Well, clearly the the host of that show was a legend. Uh, Alex Trebek. We did a whole, a whole thing on him when he passed away. We had experts. We had guests. We had uh, audio. It was really... I think, an appropriate tri- a tribute to him. So, after Alex Trebek died, the question became, who is going to fill his shoes? So, they did something very interesting. I thought it was interesting. Certainly good publicity for the show. They had a whole bunch of people try their hand at being the Jeopardy host. You had people like uh, Katie Couric, George Stephanopoulos, Aaron Rodgers, uh, LeVar Burton, who was the person I was hoping would get it. You had the former Jeopardy champion, Ken Jennings, the winningest Jeopardy, winningest Jeopardy contestant in history. And a number of other folks, uh, some folks that you would know, some folks that you would not know. And uh, they ultimately decided that the new host of Jeopardy was going to be Mike Richards. No, not the Seinfeld actor who played Kramer, but a producer on Jeopardy. Very odd. Very odd, and I said so at the time. I said, wait a minute, excuse me. This guy is a producer on Jeopardy and was involved in selecting who the replacement's going to be, and yet he picked himself? What is it? Who is this, Dick Cheney? You're in charge of the search to be vice president, and who do you pick? You pick yourself? No, no, no. Doesn't seem quite kosher. I mean, it was like if if something happened to me, God forbid— and Matt Blaze was in charge of picking the new host of this show. Who do you think he'd pick? Probably pick Matt Blaze. So, anyway, they pick him, and almost immediately, I think he lasted maybe a week of them taping episodes, and they then all this scandal emerges. They It turns out that he did kind of rig the process to his benefit. I actually saw some clips of him. I, I mean, I saw some episodes hosted by him. He was okay. He was much better than I was expecting. And um, 
they said it looked like he did rig the process to his benefit. Also, they uncovered some uh, politically incorrect comments that he'd made maybe 12 or 13 years ago on a podcast somewhere. And obviously, in this day and age, that's the one thing that we cannot handle is we can't handle any sort of anybody being anything the least bit controversial, especially on a show like Jeopardy. So they settled on two hosts. Ken Jennings, the former Jeopardy champion, who I don't mind telling you I was very skeptical of. I did not think he was going to do a good job. I did not think he was going to be good television, primarily because he always struck me as a little robotic, and you know that he knows all the answers. I don't want a host who knows all the answers. I want to know a host that knows some of the answers, not all of them. Meanwhile... You know, I have become a huge fan of his. The guy certainly shows that I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to predicting who's going to be good on television. The guy's phenomenal. But they not only chose Ken Jennings, they chose Mayim Bialik. Now, I've been a fan of Mayim Bialik both as a person and an actress since her days doing Blossom. I used to love Blossom. And then uh, she developed a whole new generation of fans. I never watched this show but I know it's popular. Uh, she was uh, one of the characters on the Big Bang Theory. But also she is an intellectual. She's an accomplished author. She was, I believe, a Ph.D. If not, she's very accomplished in terms of um, academic. Yeah, Ph.D. in neuroscience. She's a smart cookie and a talent. So that was the game plan. Ken Jennings hosts some episodes my Ambialic hosts some episodes. They kind of go back and forth. Week for Ken Jennings, week for My Ambialic. Welcome back. Before we get into Final Jeopardy, we want to remind you that only the top three winning scores will advance. So that is why the wagers these three have made are so critically important. All right, the category for Final Jeopardy, historic structures. Here's the clue. In 1100, the Bishop of Durham became the first prisoner here, and after plying his guards with wine, became the first to escape. You have 30 seconds. Good luck. Oh, I don't think I know the response to that one. I think uh, Tower, of, Tower of London? Tower of London. I'm going to say Tower of London, but I don't know. But anyway, uh, she, she did a great job, too, and I thought it was kind of a good thing, a good mix they had. Ken Jennings hosting sometimes, Mayim Bialik hosting sometimes, and they and she actually got an Emmy nomination. And apparently, as of Friday, Mayim Bialik said that she had been removed as the host of Jeopardy. She began hosting on an interim basis in 2021 and on a permanent basis last year. She has not appeared on Jeopardy or the offshoot celebrity jeopardy for the last few months in may they it was reported by deadline that she stepped away from jeopardy in solidarity with the hollywood writer strike but now the writer strike is over so bialik wrote on social media friday sony has informed me that i will no longer be hosting the syndicated version of jeopardy i am deeply grateful for the opportunity to have been part of the jeopardy family she didn't mention the strike which ended in the fall, but it's got me and a lot of others wondering, why? What's it all about? Were they unhappy with her performance? Did they want to do away with this two-host thing? I'm, and, you know, I've heard all sorts of conspiracy theories about why she might have been jettisoned. Some people say it was because she was anti-vax. You know, she wrote in her 
book, this is long before COVID, that, um, you know, she did not her have her children vaccinated. Uh, some people said it was because she's too pro-Israel. Other people have other theories. Could be just as simple as they think Ken Jennings is doing a better job. But I'm curious if I liked it with the two hosts. I thought it was a good mix. They had different styles, and um, I liked it. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Sony has confirmed that she's out in a separate statement, and they thanked her for her contributions and said that they hope to continue working with her on primetime specials without elaborating on what. So... Some critics did question her impartiality. Alex Trebek, he was always celebrated for having this neutral, impartial air, while Bialik was a little bit more outspoken on different things. So I don't know if you think if, if it's for a specific reason. I give her credit for not, you know, slamming anybody, for leaving as a class act. I really do. So that's... Uh, that's News to me, and I'm sure many of you, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hi, Rick. Yes, good morning, sir. Um, regarding the, the music and, and everything you said was so spot on, Frank, everything. I used to work in many, many nightclubs, and besides the cigarette smoke, which I don't smoke, <clears throat> and I come home wheezing and smelling like an ashtray, the music... For for the rest of the day, I would have tintinitis. Ooh, it damages your your ears even just one night, and I think it's because the the DJs are going deaf and they don't realize just how loud they are playing it. It's like someone that eats a hot sauce and they wind up you know ordering five alarm chili, whereas someone that never eats it, they would taste that they'd run to the faucet. They have the music pumped up to where they think it's the right level. They should have a go by a meter. They shouldn't. They never do, but they should have a, a, a decibel meter. And at a certain decibel, turn it down. It's not. It's not enjoyable. I absolutely agree with you. You know, Rick. First of all, obviously we're on the same page here. But the thing that I wonder, though, is you know there are some people that will, God forbid, try to have a conversation with people they get to see maybe once or twice a year, or family they only get to see at funerals and weddings, and are excited to hear how people are doing and want to catch up with them. And I guess you could do that to some extent during cocktail hour. But the, look, the dance floor at a lot of these weddings is. Full. And people are pumped up. They're having a good time. So I, I kind of think that maybe you and me, we're the ones that that are uh, out of place. Maybe we're just curmudgeonly because the people on the dance floor seem into it. Is it possible that we're in the minority? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But I, I, I sympathize with people that have to work at these venues because they have to put up with it every night. You know? Well, so do I, Rick. And Rick, thank you. And it's funny, I um, when I was in the event videography business, I used to carry these little foam earpieces that I would put in my ear. And I almost brought a pair with me to the wedding because I had a feeling it was going to be a louder wedding. You know, they're a youngish couple and a lot of their friends are young and glamorous. And they like the loud music. And I didn't do it because you look, you look, I don't know, you look like you're being rude. You look like you're not participating in in the fun and i don't want to look like that i'd rather hide out in the lobby <laughs> and accidentally get to talk to people all right 800-848-9222 uh, before we move on from television 
I, uh, as I've said, now that Tucker Carlson's off cable news, uh, the only thing that I watch on on cable news is Smirconish on CNN on Saturday, and I think he does a great job. But as far as daily, there's nothing that I find worth watching. And I've taken to watching Glenn Greenwald's show, System Update. I, I've talked about it before. He's on at 7 o'clock too, but if you miss it at 7, you could just kind of watch it on the Rumble app whenever you want to watch it. And he had his one-year anniversary on Friday and his 200th episode. And as my wife and I were driving to Atlantic City on Friday, massive traffic, horrible traffic, we get, um, you know, I wanted to listen to Glenn Greenwald's interview with, uh, with Tucker Carlson. It was great. I have to tell you, and it's not just because I respect both of these guys, but it was just such an interesting conversation. And you don't have to agree with either of them on anything to at least respect their intelligence. And they, they begin by saying what strange times we're in now. Whereas if you would have told either of them in 2015 that they would be regulars on one another's TV shows, you would have said, you're crazy. You know, Tucker Carlson, that right winger, Glenn Greenwald, that commie, no way. But it's amazing to see how politics itself has changed, how the uh, the, the very nature of what politics is has drawn people on the left and on the right, people that might, and I don't know who Greenwald votes for, but, you know, he lives in Brazil now, but he's on the left, and Tucker certainly on the right, draw these folks together. And they had such an interesting conversation, uh, and I, I kept saying, oh, I want to play a clip of that. I want to play a clip of that. And I said, there's just too much here. I'm not going to replay this whole half hour. So I did link to it on uh, my Facebook page and on Twitter. You can check it out if you want to. But there was one portion of it where they got into why television news is so lame these days. And they got into the constraints of cable news and why it's so mediocre in terms of delivering information and opinions. Here's Glenn Greenwald and Tucker Carlson from Friday. I know when I left The Intercept where if you had asked me the whole time up until the day I left... Am I free to say whatever I wanted? I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Nobody yes. ever tells me what yes. to say. Nobody could tell me what to say. I'm totally free. And exactly. yet once I left, I felt this liberation that I feel until this very day. Like, obviously, I, there were all these ways I was constrained subliminally <clears throat> in ways that I didn't really realize. I definitely see this in you, too, in the way that you speak about things and how you speak about them. You just seem happier personally, but also in your work, yes. I'm wondering if you found that, that you feel liberated, even though I know at Fox people weren't telling you what to say, but were there chains that were on you that you didn't really realize? That's so smart, and only someone who's experienced it would know that, and you're absolutely right. Solzhenitsyn writes about this, that one of the costs of an authoritarian structure is what it does to the way you think and the way you permit yourself to think, and that is absolutely what happened to me. And I would always brag about the arrangement I had on Fox, which was real, which I said, you know, it's your channel. If you don't like it, what I'm saying, pull me off, but you can't control what I say while I'm on the air. And they and they live by that. But I never, and I always think of myself as a strong person and a free man, and I'm going to say what I think, and, and to a large extent I did. But I never appreciated how that affected the way I allowed myself to think. And the second I left, and what a blessing that was, and of course most of your blessings come in disguise. You don't realize what they are for the, you know, when they happen, but, but that really was a huge blessing for me. And 
Yes. I mean, there were all sorts of things. I mean, for one thing, just the structure of television, not just the company I work for, but all of them is inherently partisan. And I'm just not partisan. I never have been partisan. I've never been fully on board. I don't like the Democratic Party. I'm happy to say that. But I've never been for the Republican Party, especially because I don't think they're sincere. I don't think they mean it. I don't think they believe anything, most of them. And and yet the structure of cable television is is inherently partisan. You kind of can't kind of get, get out of that. And so I'm happy to say almost all Democrats are bad, but I am not happy to say, and I wouldn't be honest if I said most Republicans are good office holders, because that's not true. They're not good. I thought it was so interesting, and it gets much better than that. And they get into kind of... Because you have to be concise on television, one of the things that leads to is unorthodox views. Don't, you don't have time to explain them. If it's something that people are unfamiliar with, it takes three, four, five minutes just to explain them. And most places on, on cable news, you can't even get that five minutes. You have maybe 90 seconds for a whole in-depth story. So I thought it was a really interesting interview. And if you're a fan of uh, Glenn Greenwald or Tucker Carlson... Or um, you just kind of have questions about how the cable news business is these days and the media in general. I think it's worth watching. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. If you want to watch that video, it's on my Twitter, at Frank Morano. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Roy is in New Jersey. Hi, Roy. Hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, you talking about the DJs? Sure, Roy, what's on your mind? Five times in my life, I would warn the DJ, look, either lower it down, I'm going to come and I'm going to pull a plug. Five times I've done it. And the last time I did it was at my son's wedding. I told the guy, lower it down. He didn't want to listen to me. Well, all of a sudden, whoop, there goes the plug off from the music. And I said to him, now keep it lower. I said, the people, do you want this lower? And they all yell, yeah. Did you I've seen him a little while after, about six months afterwards, at <laughs> another affair. And this guy said, oh, no, not you. I said, don't keep it loud. Well, uh, on the one hand, it's I give crazy. you a lot of credit for that. Roy, were you paying for your son's wedding? Partial. Partial. Okay, so you got some say in what the volume should be there, Roy. And um, what did the DJ say when they finally got the music back on and when they plugged everything back in? Was he annoyed with you for doing that? No, he didn't say a word. All right. Well, I, I told him, you know, I put my finger to my mouth, shut up. Yeah, it's easy to do if you're the one paying. If you're just a guest... Then, Why did it wear off just a guess? Yeah, see, I could never do that. I, I couldn't do I that. I asked the people, hey, I can't take this, neither can anybody else. Do you? Do I have your permission if I have to I'll pull a guy's plug? They said, go ahead. Because they knew I would do it, and I would pull it. Wow. You you are the Spartacus of fed-up uh, wedding I, attendees. I like that, Roy. Wow. I don't. Again, I don't know. Unless I was paying, I don't know that I could do it. But, uh, again, Roy's a, a bit more... Assertive than I am, clearly. 800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to comment. Johnny is in Sullivan. Hi, Johnny. Hello, Frank. I haven't spoken to you in a while because I think my insomnia is finally cured. Well, that's not good for me at all. <laughs> well, I'm trying to call in. Um, as far as this music thing goes, um, I was I was working at a the Wolfkill Golf Course up in Middletown, Orange County, the county just below me. And they have parties, like on weekends, whether it be weddings, whether it be retirement parties, say, fireman things, uh, Sweet 16 parties. And, of course, they always have DJs 
for these events, but there was one event, and it was a Sweet 16 party of all things. And these DJs, they were playing great music. Don't get me wrong. They really had a good set of music playing. But the loudness was louder than Hiroshima and Nagasaki combined. They, we were on the servers really had a rough time that night because they had to constantly go into the room where they were playing, where the guests were, to go in and out to serve and take the plates out. And they were telling me, like, their ears were killing them. And um, I, I, we were all, like, laughing, saying, this is a Sweet 16 party, man. This is not Studio 54 yet. Why so do I they do want, that, Johnny? I just think this particular DJ, that's just their style. You know, they just feel the louder the music, the more it's getting pronounced, even though it's really the wrong. It's like you, you don't even know what people right next to you are saying. But, but Frank, there's one other thing I wanted to say, and, I, and it worries me in regards to like folks like yourself who have to drive into Manhattan for their jobs, being you live on Staten Island. This price thing that the MTA, this hopeful, is concocted. This is going to have a devastating effect on Midtown Manhattan and below. Oh, uh, I mean, I, 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 it's 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 I, outrageous, Johnny. It's outrageous. I, I don't want to get into it too much now because I've spent a lot of time on it in my local commentaries, and um, you know we've got people listening from all over the country. But it's it's crazy. I mean, it's ab- absolutely abominable. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. You know, we were talking about Mayim Bialik being out as the co-host of Jeopardy. We were talking the other day about Al Michaels being out for the NFL playoffs for the first time in five decades through NBC News and learning about it, the indignity of learning about it from a reporter. And the one person that had some insight into this was Lisa in Connecticut. She called in and said, well, you know, I think it might have something to do with the comments he made about Taylor Swift. So now I have gone on record since then as saying I have nothing but respect for Taylor Swift. My wife listens to Taylor Swift. My son listens to Taylor Swift. I I have many friends that have gone to her concerts. I have nothing but respect and admiration for uh, Taylor Swift. But the fact that Lisa was able to be so forward-thinking in that one, I'm wondering if she has any insight onto the Mayambialic controversy. Lisa, what do you have for us? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, thank you. And, and I love Taylor Swift, too. I listen to her all the time. You know, we don't want to make anybody feel bad about doing what they're doing. You know, she's wonderful. She's the, the biggest thing right now, you know. Um, and I truly appreciate her. And and I am I am kind of sad about my uh, my Bialik. I watch Jeopardy all the time with my mom and my dad. And um, I think it's it's a little bit of uh, the the whole thing with the um, like you said the uh, she, she was um, sorry was it the vaccines was it Israel was it something else no it was Israel but also because she wasn't um, I guess she wasn't stepping in when the the whole thing went down with the whole um, uh, writer strike? Yeah, the strike. Exactly. Sorry, sorry, Frank. I've been working mad hours and uh, on this news project. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a little bit of the the strike. Maybe that they maybe felt that she should have stepped in and she didn't, and maybe the Israel thing. I don't know, but I I wish her the best. 
she was really good, you know? And yeah. I really liked that show. I'm surprised you didn't see that show that she was on. Uh, you know, I, I, everyone's always told me that I would like it. I'm just so far behind in television. Like no, I know. There's a lot of science fiction elements to it and everything. And I know, I think yeah. Nimoy was on a couple of episodes. I've heard great things about it, and I'm sure I would like it. You know, honestly, I keep, I keep, a, and thanks for the call, Lisa, I keep a list of shows on my phone that I will watch one day when either I'm independently wealthy and can watch hours of television or I'm, I'm fired. And obviously, I hope, you know, not to be fired. So I'm hoping it is due to independent wealth. And uh, Big Bang Theory is on it. But uh, I'm told it's great. I haven't seen it. I am told it is great. All right. 800-848-9222. Noam Laden is here. We're going to get with him in a second. But first, Miguel in Brooklyn has been holding. Hi, Miguel. Hello. How are you? How's everything going? Everything is fantastic. Like a, a penguin attempting a moonwalk. Oh, okay. Uh, two things come on. First of all, you know, I, I've heard what you said about the rate, the you know, uh, about the music, and I think the the last guy, I think he, he he said it really well. They have this crazy thinking that for some reason the style is that you blast the music, but we're not we're ordinary people. We're not, you know, they 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 have that. He just coined it so well. He said it's like the style that they think if you turn it on high, then you, the people are going to be dancing more. But it's not necessarily the case. And I have an uncle, an older gentleman, and he he has a lot of, uh, he's definitely a guy, goes to a lot of parties. He puts in earplugs. He's not embarrassed. He comes in there all the way. He comes in with earplugs, and, and that's what he does. That's, you know, and then, then, and too bad and everybody else, because he, he can't. He, he really can't, and it's very loud. So that's common number one. A common number two, what you spoke about, this is going back probably like a few minutes ago, you spoke about the, the Pope. Uh, I think that's a I, – I like the idea. I like the move. I, I like the move, but I'm, I, I, I try to analyze the philosophy uh, how, you know, how does it work with the Gospels and – and uh, and in truth, you know, Jesus' teaching was, you know, not to judge people. And if if if, if you know, especially you go through a hard time, and then you know, everybody has a heart. Whoever has heart knows what we're talking about. Nobody wants to get judged when when they have their dark time. Especially nobody ever wants to get to judge. But uh, so I'm definitely in for for Pope Francis, and I I, I think he's a great pope and. He's done so much, and, and, and good for him. Just, you know, God bless everybody. That That's all I have to say. Thank you so much for my time. Hey, thanks for the call, Miguel. Appreciate you holding. Hey, Noam Layden is here. We'll get a listen from him in terms of what's in the news, some stories you might have missed, and some insight into some stories you might have seen. We'll continue on the other side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
of midnight. It is uh, great to be back on the air, not only because I enjoy talking with you, but because I enjoy being reunited with our news director, someone with a nose for news and uh, a very, very sound judgment. Also uh, a bit of a a funny bone and a guy who, uh, believe it or not, was even an actor at one time. I speak, of course, of... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, now. Good morning, Frank. Have you heard of Trank Tourism? I, I mean, no, I don't think I have, but it, does it involve going somewhere to get a drug? It involves going somewhere to watch people on drugs oh. or to watch them online high on drugs. Oh, if you geez. haven't been following this story, Trank is the drug that is used uh, by veterinarians uh, to sedate Large animals like horses, well, like so many drugs uh, like this, it has found its way onto the street. And for people who aren't getting high on opioids anymore, this is a more intense drug that can uh, not only kill you, by the way, because Narcan doesn't reverse the drug, but it also uh, can you can develop severe flesh-eating wounds from this drug, Trank, but it's become one of the hottest drugs in almost any city you go to. Let's go to Philadelphia and Kensington, which is a very poor section of Philadelphia mm. and has become one of the centers for Trank in the nation. So much so that TikTokers and YouTubers have now gone to Kensington and are filming these people who are high on Trank to show what happens when they get high. So you say, okay, no, well, that's kind of interesting. Well, no, this is the side part is they're making tons of money off of these videos of watching people high on Trank. Uh, Philadelphia pushing back in a big way because they've seen this up. Uh, tick in tourism to Kensington, which is in North Philadelphia, which is a brutal neighborhood, really violent. People are coming to watch it all. Here is um one of the content creators who, by the way, makes about $10,000 a month creating these Trank videos. Exploring different areas and seeing what is going on. And so we've compiled, both of us have compiled yeah. all kinds of crazy footage that we're going to show you. We're going to show you what it's like here. You're going to be blown away by this. And by the way, I was blown away by watching some of these videos, and I felt almost a little guilty doing so. There are about 150 channels across TikTok and YouTube that are dedicated to watching people who are high on Trank in Kensington, in particular, in Philadelphia today. You know, I mean, I guess these folks would make the case that they're increasing awareness about the problems with Trank. It just, it definitely seems pretty exploitive to me. Yeah, once you get past about uh, 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, you'll make about uh, $20 for every 1,000 views of one of your videos. That's usually the process. And so with these Trank videos, it just happened right now. They are some of the hottest content on TikTok and YouTube, and people are cashing in big time watching these people get high and in some cases, by the way, pass away. Yeah, awful. Uh, 
you can't get on a city bus from one city to another like you used to. Back in the day, Greyhound was just huge, right? Uh, you could take these inner city buses. It was relatively cheap. And you could go from, you know, Toledo, Ohio to San Francisco, if you wanted to, on a Greyhound bus. What we've watched over the last decade is these Greyhound bus stations have started to close in huge cities across the city. So in the last just couple of years, bus stations that Greyhound had in Houston, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Tampa, Louisville, Portland, Oregon, I could go on, have all closed because they're in areas of the city that have become incredibly desirable. So what happens is these bus companies don't have enough income coming in, so they sell off these stations to real estate developers who sell them for enormous amounts of money or redevelop them into apartment buildings. And so what it's left is this population of people who can't afford to travel from one city to another uh, only like, so on a bus mm -hmm. because the bus is still the most inexpensive way. If you've looked at Amtrak lately, it can be really expensive to get on an Amtrak train. And so what we've seen is this bus population has gone down. And what people who are on low income say, they, they're not traveling like they used to to visit relatives because those buses are not there. Now, there has been some fill-in from these cheap buses uh, the bolt, that go from bolt like— bus. Yeah, I've yeah. taken that from here to D.C., yeah, from goes, New York to D.C. It usually goes from like—in most cities, it'll go from one uh, Chinatown in one city to Chinatown in another city. And they can be incredibly cheap, uh, but there's, sometimes they're not easy to find the stops— and so these bus stations going away. Greyhound, uh, by the way, is owned by a German company now. And they say, look, we're in the business of getting people from one place to another, and we want to continue to do so. But it's become more difficult because uh, cities don't offer up spaces for us to pull those buses into. And places where they did own these Greyhound bus stations, uh, essentially they couldn't afford to keep the upkeep. And so they've sold them off to these developers, and they're just not there anymore. Well, so uh, is there any sort of plan, either on Greyhound's part or on the part of transit advocates for, I don't know, filling the void that the closure of these bus stations has created? Not really. Not really. I mean, this is really um, a, this one study that was done by the New York Times uh, in, over the last year or so such, said essentially there's nothing that's filling in this gap. It just essentially means that people are in some of these cities where these Greyhound bus stations have gone away and where there's no Bolt bus or Mega bus have no way to get from here to there anymore unless they can raise the money to get on an Amtrak train. That's a real bummer. I, that's a real bummer. I mean, I guess, you know, you can make the case that uh, you can better connect with people via video conferencing now than you could 10 That's years true. ago. And maybe there's less of a need to go from uh, New York to Boston. But uh, that is that's terrible. I hate that. By the way, a Greyhound says the largest segment of people who use their buses to travel from one city to another uh, on average make about $40,000 a year. You know, I have uh, I, I've taken the Greyhound a couple of times from Albany to New York. It is much less of a pleasant um, experience than taking the the train. But yeah. the reason I took it is, one, it worked for me schedule-wise, but because I didn't have the money to take the train. And I, I can absolutely appreciate where those folks are coming from. Jessica Vincent uh, Frank went into a Goodwill store in Hanover County, Virginia. Why this stuff doesn't ever happen to you or I. <laughs> she uh, goes past the uh, old VCRs that are sitting there, the lamps, uh, the glassware that are sold at this Goodwill store. And all of a sudden, this vase or this vase, depending on what side of the block you live on, catches her eye. And um, she looks at it, she turns it over, and she notices that it has a small M on the bottom of the vase. 
And uh, she believes it stands for Murano, which, of course, is an island off Venice. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Sure, I've been there, yeah. The historical home of this Italian glassware. So she has a feeling it might be worth something. And she goes to the front counter and she says, you know what, I'll pay nine bucks for this. And uh, they ring it up and they say, no, no, this is only $3.99. So she pays it and then instantly goes home and uh, goes on to Facebook and takes a picture. And she goes on to these groups that will tell you how much something's worth. Right away, someone says um, this uh, president of a auction house sees it and says, yeah, I think that's worth something. Bring it in. She does. And sure enough, uh, last Wednesday, she sold this Voss, this Murano Voss, that she bought for $3.99 at the Goodwill store for $107,000. Wow. <laughs> yeah. God bless her. God bless her. It pays to have a good eye for that stuff. I mean, I uh, I would be the person that sold the $100,000 vase for $4. That would be me. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, God bless her. Well, thank you, No. Sure. Appreciate that. It's good to be back. And now you know the rest of the story. All right. I'm uh, going to get to your calls in a moment. It is great to be back. and We uh, covered a lot of ground today. And a uh, busy weekend, though. You know, we had Atlantic City on Friday. I had uh, Joe Piscopo's mom's wake on Sunday. Then the wedding Sunday night. Uh, thunderstorms like crazy on Sunday into Monday. On Saturday, I got invited to uh, my friend Lauren's Christmas party. I was in Manhattan, and, you know, I didn't mind making the hike in. I had a friend to go with and uh, got stuck in some traffic, but it's okay. Traffic with a friend, it's all good. My plan was to go there and basically stay there for two hours from the time I crossed the threshold till the time I leave. Saw a bunch of folks, uh, including some folks that work here. Great time. And um, Lauren, who's hosting this, says to me, hey, over there, that girl... That's uh, that's Bernie's daughter. You should go and introduce yourself. I said, oh, I know Bernie's daughter. Now, I assume that she's talking about my former colleague, Bernard McGurk, who passed away. Great radio talk show host, former producer. And I have met Bernie's daughter. Met her, met her twice. Met her once 16 years ago when she was basically a, a teenage girl. And then I met her again at Bernie's, uh, Bernie's wake. Didn't speak with her very long at the wake, but I'm looking at this girl that Lauren points to, and I said, that doesn't look like her. I mean, she looks like she's about the same age as Bernie's daughter, but that doesn't look like her. I said, I know. See, this girl's hair is black, not black, uh, brown and curly now. That's what it is. She changed her hair. That's why it doesn't look like the girl that I met 16 years ago and at the wake. So... When I saw um, Bernie's daughter at the wake, I said to, I reminded her of when we had met back in 2007 or 2008, and it was the day that the Jonas Brothers were at the radio station. I said, I don't know if you remember that, and, was, and she said, oh, you mean the greatest day of my life? Yes, yeah, okay, and we spoke for a minute and moved on. That was basically it. So I go up to her at this party, and uh, I say, uh, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but we've actually met twice before. One day was on um, what you said was the greatest day of your life. And she's looking at me like she has no idea what I'm talking about. I said, let me help you. We met the day that um, you met 
the Jonas Brothers. And she said, no, I, th- I think you mean Justin Bieber. I said, no, I'm pretty sure I mean the Jonas Brothers. And, and I said, the other time uh, was, was, you know, unfortunately at your dad's, uh, your dad's wake. She's looking at me now like I have six heads. She's saying, uh, clearly not understanding what I was saying or not hearing or listening in disbelief to what I'm saying. And I'm thinking, okay, doesn't look like the person I remember. And clearly the two instances that I thought we had in common, we clearly do not. I said, I'm sorry. Who was your father? She says, Bernard Carrick. So it's Bernie Carrick's daughter. So my friend Lauren points me over there and says, oh, that's Bernie's daughter. I'm thinking she means Bernard McGurk, and it's Bernard Carrick. Now, I was very embarrassed, very apologetic. I'm friendly with Bernard Carrick, too, and I gave a couple of more relevant stories. But no, I've never met this you know woman before. I go over to Lauren. I said, Lauren, don't you think when you say that that's Bernie's daughter, maybe you should specify which Bernie? And she says, no, I said Bernie Carrick. Now, I will say there was music going on there. was not as loud as the wedding that I was at on Sunday. But I must say that was pretty embarrassing. I was pretty embarrassed the the rest of the party. But uh, she seemed cool with it, so 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 be it. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Evelyn in Hudson County has been holding. Hi, Evelyn. Frank, I have a solution to your um, loud music problem. They're called Flens Earstopples, F-L-E-N-G-S. It's a clear wax and cotton. You cannot notice them. People do not notice them, and they block out so much. They're terrific, F-L-E-N-T-S. You can also get them on the Internet and your local pharmacy. I like it. I like it. That's great, Evelyn. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a good one. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We'll do uh, 15 seconds of fame in a moment where you can be heard on any subject you want for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano.
Ah, yes, this is the great, late, great Andy B singing The Other Side of Midnight. You know, we were talking about uh, Taylor Swift and the Al Michaels theory before. A a friend of mine that I ran into this weekend, when I brought up the Taylor Swift-Al Michaels conspiracy theory, he said, oh, no, 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 that's nothing. This whole relationship that she's got with Travis Kelsey is just concocted. Just concocted. Um, it was right when her movie was coming out and uh, Travis Kelsey starts doing all these commercials, including for Pfizer. It's all part of the deep state. Don't even get me started. And he really believes it. Well, if you feel like you've been seeing a lot of Travis Kelsey lately, even when he's not playing football, you are not wrong. The Chiefs tight end who might be the most famous boyfriend in the world right now, has hawked products in more commercials during NFL games so far this season than any other celebrity with 375 ad appearances. Kelsey's teammate, Patrick Mahomes, was in second place, followed by Kevin Miles, a.k.a. Jake from State Farm. (laughs) So before you ask, according to The Morning Brew, which is a newsletter that I read, these deals were locked in place before he supposedly started dating Taylor Swift. But advertisers ramped up Kelsey's exposure knowing that they had marketing gold on their hands. So this relationship seems to be very good PR-wise and financially for both of them. So maybe there is something to that uh, that theory. By the way, speaking of football, I won the football pool this week. And, you know, I think I, we now know the secret not to give my picks out on the radio because I forgot to give him out on Thursday. And then I said, oh, let me give him out on Friday. I won. I won with uh, 12 games. And very, very happy to have won that. Now, you know, it's a couple of bucks, but it's just the the pride of, of winning, an honor to uh, to win. So I, if, if that's the case, I may just stop giving the football picks out because I'm superstitious like that. We'll see. All right. Um, let's give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike. Morning, Frank. In regard to you taking the polar plunge, I read that it can cause permanent shrinkage. Are you willing to take that risk? Sam. Yeah, shave the jerk off. Raji. You optimistic suckers. Adams and Hawkers, why do you expect the illegal invaders to work for $20 per hour when each one's benefits amount to $40 to $80 per hour? Rocco. Taylor Swift will eventually date everyone in the USA. Of course it's fake. It's all marketing, NFL marketing. Don't believe a word of it. Israel forever, USA forever. God bless America. Roy. You didn't let me finish. A DJ could be charged with child abuse if there's a baby there or a young kid because of the noise level. And every city in town has an ordinance where you cannot play the decibels of a music so loud. Rusty. Yeah. If Como becomes governor again, will he name a bridge after Scaramucci? <laughs> Mike. Please tell me that we're referring to this pride porn video as the insert erection. 
That's not bad. 800-848-9222. Lisa. Hey, did you hear about what happened with Snow this weekend? About what? So, about Cher. Uh-huh. So, Cher went out on a rant, and she said that she hasn't been inducted to the Hall of Fame for uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she doesn't care. She says, I will go even if they give me a million dollars. Well, thank you, uh, Lisa. It must be nice to be in a position to turn down a million dollars to be somewhere, including in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know what? All these Hall of Fames are, uh, you know, they're all kind of a joke, right? I mean, they're all kind of the whim of whoever's putting it uh, together. So, um, you know, I mean, whether it's the Wrestling Hall of Fame or anything else, the the only Hall of Fame that really has a lot of credibility with me is uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. And even that is questionable in some respects. But look, I'm a huge radio fan. But Howard Stern is not in the Radio Hall of Fame. I mean, how can that be? How can that be? He's among arguably the most significant radio talent in the last 40 or 50 years. And he's not in there. So, I mean, what credibility does it have? All these Hall of Fames are just whoever these guys want to honor. That's it. That's it. A Rock and Roll Hall of Fame included. Until then, till tomorrow, Frank Moreno, good day.